Welcome back to our podcast within a podcast, pottering around the cat rattling around in the suit of armor that is Mangum Reads. We are three muggles who also have umbrageitis and believe the only cure is a trip to the seaside. My name is Sarah. I am joined, as always, by my co-host, BJ and Spencer. How are you all doing? Doing well. <laughs> I'm not currently vomiting, bleeding from any orifices, so my my symptoms of umbrageitis have, have not progressed to the uh, necessity of leaving, but so far... Uh, we'll see how it goes. Pre- pre-symptomatic. <laughs> yes. A- asymptomatic, but possibly contagious. Mm. The perfect, the perfect place to be. Yes. Uh, so we are on the, what chapter is this? The 30th? This is chapter 30. The 30th uh, chapter of the bu- first, fifth book of Harry Potter, uh, Grop. <laughs> and we have some segments that we do here. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We have a rapid fire recap. Uh, BJ's wizard wheezes, newbies notes with Spencer. We award house points, and then there are questions and and queries and and qualms and quibbles, and maybe there will be some this week. I don't know. Uh, associated with that, uh, Sarah, this chapter is just as long as like every chapter has been. It feels like this book. Do you have a guess of how long it'll take you to recap it? Yeah, so page-wise, it is just as long. I think it's actually exactly the same length as the last chapter. But there are actually only kind of two major things going on in this chapter. So I actually found it much easier this morning while I was doing my notes. I am going to go aggressive. Mm. I am going to put a bet in. And I am going to bet one minute, 50 seconds. Indeed. All right. Sarah is feeling she has returned to form. Well, we'll see. That <laughs> I, at this point, Spencer, I am merely saying things. <laughs> All right. Random predictions thrown out in the universe have been completed. Are you ready to go? Sure. Very much like a centaur. She is putting forth some information into the world that may or may not come true. We'll see. Yeah. Listen, speak it into being, BJ. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> Fred and George's spectacular departure unleashed a torrent of rebellious mischief throughout the school that keeps Umbridge and Filch up to their necks in it. Peeves particularly has taken up the mantle. Only Ron is sort of peeved about the situation, convinced that his mother will blame him for Fred and George while he gets none of the glory. He's also suspicious about how they got their shop in Diagon Alley. Harry finally has to admit that he gave them his Triwizard winnings. Ron's thrilled the blame will be passed. Hermione's more concerned about occlumency lessons and the restarting thereof. Harry's still dreaming about the Department of Mysteries corridor, and he's so curious about what's down there he's not really trying to stop them ron's mind turns to quidditch with the slytherin captain out um, they might have a chance at the cup if they can beat ravenclaw he's got a new nihilistic confidence but the slytherins are quick on the draw with the weasleys are king in the middle of the match hagrid appears surreptitiously asking harry and hermione to come with him while everyone else is distracted by the match he's bruised and bloody and he's distracted and armed as he leads them into the forest Ferenz coming to work for dumbledore has riled the other centaurs but they're not the problem today they're deep in the forest when hagrid confesses he knows he's going to get fired the only problem with that is that he can't not tell someone about what they're creeping toward they reach a clearing with a sleeping something. It's his ha- giant half-brother, Grop, who he uh, forced to come back with him. The other giants were bullying him. He's been keeping him tied up in the forest, trying to teach him English and manners, and he needs someone to look after him, keep him company, and teach him a little while he's gone. They very reluctantly agree, and Hagrid introduces them, by which I mean Grop roars, snaps a tree around, and tries to grab Hermione. On the way back to the castle, they run into several centaurs who are clearly pissed at Hagrid and don't want any humans in the forest anymore. They start to hear celebration from the stadium, but the song has changed. He didn't let the quaffle in. Weasley can save anything. He never leaves a single ring. Weasley is our king. Ron emerges victorious, and they decide to save Hagrid's news for tomorrow. 150 on note. Well done, sir. Heck yeah. (laughs) I, uh... I apologize. I did make a game time decision to not actually sing Weasley is our king. It was it was rehearsed this morning, uh, but we decided it was not quite up to snuff for for this for posterity's sake. It, it's fine. You got to work in peeved as an adjective there. We're also talking about peeves. Well done. I, that was my consolation prize for BJ. I hope you appreciated it. I very much did. Excellent. Um, what are you wheeze, wheezing about? Um. A couple of things. Um, mm. <laughs> the first is, and I, I know 
that there is a, a difference in the Queen's English versus the the uh, drivel that we speak over here. Um, but sure, I I know that at least the first book got translated, and I and I sort of wonder if the later books, like what exactly happened there. Um, like, and I, I guess I haven't been paying attention that much to you know, are there differences? Oh, you mean tra- um, like translated for a more American? To a more yeah. American audience. Okay. Yeah. Which is actually was one of the reasons that I, I got closer to an adult really frustrated with um, the series because uh, the Philosopher's Stone is a thing and makes sense. And I think we covered this when we were in the first book. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But anyway, uh, Filch getting the task of punting students across the swamp. I'm pretty sure that hunting still does mean like kicking forcefully uh in in the queen's english but i i believe it also has the like directing people around like you know putting them off the normal path um so it's also like a very specific type of moving a boat around it's like the venice yeah using the pole Ah. yeah so and that's like a very specific term for that kind of boat and moving that boat around uh, I forgot about that. That does make sense, but that is very disappointing because <laughs> I like that B- you're BJ disappointed was... when things are accurate, BJ. Well, 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 BJ, I was straight there with you because when I first read that, I went, "Why is Filch unhappy about this? He would be perfectly fine kicking ass to move people across locations." <laughs> yeah, no, this is actually and... more work. <laughs> yes, um, which is fair, but still, like a, I hopefully an intentional word use. Mm-hmm. I, I I actually believe that this is, yes. So um, as uh, it has gotten to be the usual uh, piece of Wizard Weezes, I have a question, which which is, <laughs> does, be does the bubblehead charm make it into the movie? Um, not in this, not in this case. Um, okay. It does actually, because we first encountered the bubblehead charm Back in the Triwizard Tournament, right? Somebody used it. Maybe Fleur. I think it might yeah. have been Fleur used it to, to for the underwater. For the underwater, it, yeah. That that is so disappointing, <laughs> At, because just the imagery of sort of everybody in these bubble-headed charms having upside-down goldfish oh, bowls yeah. on their heads, just yep. wandering around classes. It's it's so Mars attacks. <laughs> And it would have been such a great thing to have in the movie. I actually, like, the beginning of this chapter, when they're describing everything that's going on, like, who's doing all of the rebellious shit at the castle, how people are reacting to it, what Peeves is doing, how the teachers are reacting. Like, this is, I feel like, the Hogwarts that we kind of suspect would actually be the reality if you put a bunch of teenagers <laughs> in a room chaos. and yeah before before we started recording the podcast we were talking about um sort of norms and gentlemen's agreements and expectations mm. and what happens when those get broken and i feel mm-hmm. like that's what we have happening here yeah um, i hope this made it into the the movie at least somewhat because it's just a fun a fun thing that's very visual mm-hmm Mm-hmm. So, anyway, what were you saying, Spencer? Well, particularly the fishbowls brought to mind to me those kind of surreal uh, pictures from like World War One of like you know a whole school of five year olds doing their gas mask drills. Mm-hmm. Like the, those images, like an entire class portrait, and they're all wearing you know I'm in the trenches gas mask because suddenly it's an active concern to have. This is a lighter take on that, but at the same time, there is basically a full on armed rebellion in the halls of Hogwarts right now. Yep. <laughs> Are you my mummy, Spencer? So, there's, <laughs> That's uh, a hell of an episode, Doctor Who. <laughs> um, th- it, that does remind me of the the picture of uh, students in Russia getting uh, their their vitamin D, and they're all like standing around a UV lamp and goggles, <laughs> and it's just such a. Um, anyway, um, Sarah, are you familiar with the history of cornflakes? And their original intended use. I am not, Kellogg, no. Kellogg was a weird dude. So Kellogg was a really weird dude. Um, I don't remember exactly how he put two and like seven and a half together to try and get four. But he decided that uh, eating cornflakes for breakfast would help prevent 
I think mostly young boys, but maybe he was not uh, as gender specific for masturbating. And so decided that cornflakes were a good anti-masturbatory device. Um, and with this in mind, uh, the two things that we have here are very, 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 very funny because one of them is inf inflicted with their, their skin being coated in cornflakes and then Pansy Parkinson uh, <laughs> somehow gets horny. So there, it was just a great just, juxtaposition. And I, I assume it was not intentional. But this one feels unintentional to me. <laughs> this one feels completely unintentional because I feel like not many people know about the history of cornflakes and their wild insanity. Um, Is there? Do you have any? I don't. I don't actually want to dwell on this for too long. But w what was the logic? It essentially was the idea that cornflakes would be such a dull, unexciting, almost <laughs> bland way of starting the day that it wouldn't excite the energies in a way that would motivate them to that form of self-stimulation. Okay, fair. I, oh, BJ, also, in that world, in that era, I don't even think that he thought about women or girls. I don't think he even <laughs> pondered that was a possibility or concern. Well, I don't think so, because he was not particularly medically inclined, and mm -hmm. such things were, were treatable medic medical conditions back then. <laughs> Hysteria, so. yes. Yes. Was this also the era when the era when women were being prescribed vibrators to yeah to make us yes. calmer? Okay, um, <laughs> so actually, kind of working at cross purposes here. <laughs> um, and not always. Yes, actually, yes. Um, it, it it was sort of a, a wild time. Um, and this might be the most English chapter that we've ever had. <laughs> okay, let's go on. We have. A foreigner being kidnapped and tried to reform and, and be forced <laughs> into being polite, English speaking, and, you know, upholding all the, the good and right morals of, of the Great British Empire. Uh, Correct. This Correct. This is some white man's burden shit. Um, and it, it certainly seems to also be, maybe Hagrid does not have this specific intention, but it does seem to also be a kind of like, let's do a proof of concept that this is possible. <laughs> very, you know, can, very much. Can they be brought into the, the, the wizarding world as, 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 you know, productive members of the wizarding society? There, He's got some there grant is a money. difference between the magical world and the wizarding world. Yes. <laughs> yes, but there shouldn't be. Don't you understand? There shouldn't be a difference. And if everybody were to realize that it is so much better and right to be part of the wizarding world rather than just the uh, disappointing and, and uh, backwards magical, magical world... That that would be such just a better place. That is Indeed. that is one point of view. <laughs> Another point of view relies on there being a backwards and uncivilized magical world to hold up the concept of the wizarding world in the first place. The exception that proves the rule. <laughs> yeah, but I don't think that there are any magic schools that believe in it. Because <laughs> Durmstrang sure as hell doesn't. That there needs to be a, a magical wor world to hold up the concept of the wizarding world? Uh, like there needs to be the uncivilized part such that yeah i don't think Durmstrang believes in, in 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 the uncivilized part but maybe um umbridge certainly does like her umbridge. world her worldview that worldview doesn't work unless there is the other to define yourself against i think okay. you guys are debating like a certain what degree are they tolerating the existence of i think everybody acknowledges it's there it's it's in some way foundational it's just what degree of and sh and we should declare war on that yeah, I guess I guess my my thought process is Umbridge wants it expunged, and every everybody else in in Hogwarts wants it uh, brought to the British Museum. Yeah, I mean, I think <laughs> yes, yes. I no, I think that's I think that's true, and I don't think that Umbridge. Excuse me, I don't. I don't mean to say that Umbridge would articulate it like this, but the reality of the situation is that her worldview actually doesn't work unless there is another. There is another. Um, yes. And that's partially, I think, stems from her own incompetence. Like she then gets to feel better than 
um, because she has something to put herself above. Mm-hmm. I think that's it for, I mean, we, we get into two very other things that, that are differently entertaining, but uh, I, I think that's sort of, I, I do, I do appreciate the, the chant difference and there's something so wonderfully gratifying uh, in, in a very negative way about Hermione never seeing Ron succeed. <laughs> <laughs> oh, if you think that the fact that they weren't there for this match doesn't come up again. <laughs> that, that, that was just a straight up spoiler question I was going to ask on questions. I'm glad to see that that is just confirmed that, oh no, there's going to be repercussions. Oh, and the better part is, I'll bet dollars to donuts they never play Quidditch again in the books. <laughs> in, like in any book, not the, li- just this book. The series is done. I mean, in this entire series, I like I will bet Quidditch is over now because they won enough and things have to happen. And so we're never like the, there might be Quidditch in like Fantastic Beasts and where to hit them with a Quidditch bat, but like that's it. TBD, I suppose. Yep. Yeah. Uh, you know. Harry will never find a snitch again, and uh, I'm have to play with other things. That's what the cornflakes are for. <laughs> All right, on that note, newbie's notes. And, and the mirror of Erisid. Okay, oh, Spencer. <laughs> First point, I'm not sure what doing a Weasley was a week ago, but I would bet money it definitely what is, isn't what it means now. Because uh, now this is just entering the English language. I, mean, I, mean, was, I, I bet there was a shift uh, and it's now encompassing both because pulling a Weasley was almost definitely, well, it depends what grade you were at. Mm-hmm. Wh- which if, Weasley if, you're talking about. Right. Because pulling a Ron was definitely a thing in, in that like would have been, and it probably would have been pulling a Ron because Fred and George would have tormented Taking anybody that, yeah. that said a Weasley as, yeah. know, as as a Ron, um, but but yeah, getting a good practical joke in was almost definitely a Weasley, whereas the uh, mic drop. <laughs> you guys talked about the just, you know, full-on insurrection that is occurring throughout Hogwarts right now, which I adore. My favorite parts of it, though, are point number one, the other professors pointedly not helping in any manner whatsoever, to the point of even Oh, they're helping quietly... somebody. <laughs> Quietly advising Supposedly. Peeves on how he can do it better. Supposedly. Uh, now, McGonagall's doing that. McGonagall is happily doing that. Every available opportunity. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other thing I like, it, I enjoy just really petty uh, little tic-tac-y stuff. Peeves just following Umbridge around, providing live Riseberry commentary, whatever Umbridge does, would just make me laugh every time I saw it in real life. Oh, absolutely. Again, does this make it into the movie? What degree is Peeves? No, we'll, we'll get there. I'm going to save that for questions. Um, but I also feel like right around this era is also the era that UK became like with the most surveillance state on the planet. And I'm willing to believe Umbridge is going to do something similar to solve this crisis. I mean, she already is to a large extent. I mean, all communication in and out of Hogwarts is monitored and that is brought up. Uh yep. It's just not live monitoring in terms of, like, you know, cameras. The closest she has there is, like, an inquisitorial squad that is also actively being abused for their efforts. <laughs> yes, BJ? Spencer, parse that sentence for me and then realize how it also could be parsed. Inquisitorial squad actively being abused for their efforts? Yep. I mean, it w- it was meant, and obviously I don't understand the other meaning right now, that, you know, they are also being a, being a target of the insurrection right now in terms of, you know, people getting forced into pipes or otherwise getting ah. scourged in various ways. So you were meaning it that way. It, it, it just, it could have been that she was abusing the, the squad. Ah. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I was on Spencer's page with that. I do take your second meaning, BJ, but it's funny that... Fair. <laughs> It's funny that your second meaning actually went the other direition from. <laughs> oh, isn't the English language fun? Uh, one thing we got, BJ, we were debating this last chapter. We got an armed security troll. It is here. It is in text. They're not just working for the bank. You can just bring them in on retainer to guard things. Well, the rumors suggest. Yes. There, there is an armed security troll in the basement just sitting next to Harry's broom. It's the most cushy gig this armed security troll has ever had. Uh, 
as for umbrage-itis, this very much falls again into a category of me of, people are doing this to get out of class. This sounds a lot worse than just sitting in class. Like, I don't enjoy vomiting. I don't enjoy bleeding from the eyes or anything else these kids are going through for the sake of missing class. Perhaps there is an added benefit of having a certain poke in the eye effect at umbrage. I get that. I'm still not doing it. This doesn't sound fun. If there is a cure-all that you quietly take off camera. I mean, but there's also just a... Is magical vomiting as horrifically unpleasant as... Because, like, you're not sick. You're just vomiting. So is it, like, Yeah, but it's the act with, of vomiting that sucks so much. But, like, sneezing doesn't suck that much. Like, it's not great, but it's fine. But is, is it much more like sneezing with volume? I can't ever picture vomiting, even when not tied to nausea, as being like, you know, not an unpleasant thing. It's still going like to make your body cough. hurt. There is some debate on this subject, apparently. Uh, Harry fessing up about being an angel investor. We've been debating when this would go, you know, in, out into the light of day for a very long time now. What drove it, though, was interesting to me. It's not like, you know, they're out... There's no harm in me saying anything more, or, you know, my friends have a right to know this. It's, I'm worried that they develop a reputation as thieves that motivates him to say this. Well, Which but is... we know that Hermione can't keep her damn mouth shut. No. With, with things that she thinks are, might be at the edge of wrong. And so, Ethically like, it makes sense that, like, she's going to try and do something about it. Because this is another cause that she can stick her nose into, and that would be a problem. Um, the follow-up that I have is, do you think that any muggle liaison has ever visited a junkyard? And if they have, do you think that, that there is a brief moment where they think that there's just immense amounts of cash lying around? Couldn't offer a comment there. I mean, because galleons are supposed to be hubcap size, and hubcaps can come in a, a lot of different colors. I, you know, do you, I could just see Mister Weasley walking around being like, "What? What is this? Can I have this?" Like, they're you just have money these lying around the floor. I mean, I think that there are probably other distinguishing features to galleons that mark them as money, other than simply yep. being hubcap sized. Yep, Sarah, Sarah. This is how PJ understands this. Let him have his head cannon. I feel I like mean, my only role on this podcast is to not let BJ have his headcanon. <laughs> uh, I, I think you, you war against it, and sometimes you are forced to adopt it in, in, in places that you, you might not like. But I do try exceed. to admit when I think you might have a point. Yes, which is appreciated. Sure. Um, you, in, ter- in terms of other characters acting remarkably in character, uh, Harry's still avoiding occupancy after everything after clear almost like terrified instructions from his you know uncle and trusted teacher or godfather and trusted teacher he has still made no effort to reach out to snape could not be the more in character thing that i could have imagined uh, i i hope that in the movies uh the dream sequences that we get of this are just his shadow moving forward in a hall so that you're really hit with a club over the head by this. Is, this is foreshadowing, guys, because <laughs> literally we've had this like every other goddamn chapter throughout yep. the book. Yep. And I, I get that, you know, you might be reading a chapter once every couple of months, but oh my goodness. Mm-hmm. I think they, uh, they cut back on the dream sequences in the movies. <laughs> They say you probably don't need 72 of them over the course of a three and a half hour movie. We're going to trust you a little bit more than that. <laughs> um, in terms of things that are just kind of bullshit, the fact that Gryffindor is apparently still reasonably in the competition for the House Cup and Quidditch just does not match anything we've seen in the text so far this book. The entire point seemed to be that they had utterly collapsed, they were losing every game. How on earth, by some quirk of arithmetic, they actually have a chance of carrying this? I- I get that Hufflepuff beat Slytherin. I was overjoyed that my house kicked Slytherin ass. <laughs> Made me happy. Don't see how that's enough by itself to get Gryffindor back in this competition. Well, I mean, all you need is, uh, you know, four out of the seven teachers that matter to side with 
you know, what, what is presumably the rightfully ruling party of the houses <laughs> and they can, you know, just win based on whatever it is. It doesn't really matter what the actual tally of the points is. Uh, they just need to have somewhat close to a plurality and then just a decision is made. It's fine, Spencer. It, it does feel to a certain degree that the only way this can be explained is that Gryffindor is just the face of the opposition. And so while they're being also the one that's dropped points at every opportunity, they're being the ones that are padded points at also every opportunity. Yeah. Well, so this is this is the Quidditch Cup, not the House Cup. Sure. Two different things we're talking about. Yes. Well, Quidditch Cup is also still ish. bullshit. No, they're two different things. I thought they impact it. No. Okay. Mm-mm. No, the Quidditch Cup and the House Cup are two different things. The Quidditch Cup is only based on what has happened in the Quidditch matches. And at the time of that, the, at the beginning of this match, Gryffindor has won one match and lost one match. Have they literally only played two matches? Cause I thought we've seen Ron lose like two matches. No, he's just been, I don't think so. Um, really bad at practice. He's been really bad at practice. We've heard a lot about him at practice. Yeah. The scrimmage um, matches have not gone well. Yeah. Him. And so they only, I mean, they only essentially do a round Robin, um, one game each for the tournament yeah they they do a round robin and that's why it gets so tricky now what i do wish that they had done here which they did i think in the third i think they did it in the third book because it was how gryffindor actually ended up winning the house cup was that they did the they did the point totals and they told you we actually have to win by this amount Mm -hmm. for this to work and i mean it's a crazy system um because, and I don't think anybody actually understood how that, I'm sure someone on the internet has done the math and worked it out, but I wish that we had gotten that here as well, because it does, it doesn't feel right. I, I agree that it doesn't, it doesn't feel right, but. Well, everything we've seen previously that their hopes are dashed and they have no chance. And so now here to hear at the 11th hour that they do have a chance. So much of the points in the books have always been the most arbitrary thing. Jake, no. No one on the internet, if anyone on the internet actually added things up, they did more than J.K. Rowling ever did in terms of understanding (laughs) the points on this. The points move at the pace of plot. That's how they work. So this just feels like very much I'm seeing the strings of where they have a chance because they need an opportunity now for Ron to save the day so that the chance matters. It's not not just, you know, a token prize that... There will be no result of Ron finally getting good. They need Ron's, Ron's sudden success to actually matter. Mm-hmm. No, the only I, I, you're right, absolutely. I do like that they at least had the, to use your term, Spencer, the one sentence explanation, um, at the beginning of this chapter, which is Ron seems to be better at everything well, around him without the shadow of Fred and George in the I, school. I did. I did like that. I also loved your explanation of that certain comfort that nihilism brings. Yes. Is that, <laughs> It, there is a certain peace in sucking. Yes. Of w- once you feel like I've got nothing to lose, once you feel like there's no real pressure on, I'm at the lowest point possible, that does offer a certain just peace of mind that gives you the chance to do better. Yep. You can, there's, no, there's no more issue of the demons are poking at me. I'm just a corpse. I can only improve from here. I also imagine, and I know we're not going to get this because this would be too reasonable a thing, is that... Ron having trouble performing in front of Hermione would (laughs) make a lot of sense. And because she is such a perfectionist, but like, I, I imagine that she roots for him and she, I think we, we did see that in the last Quidditch match, but like, not like she doesn't do it right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. She does it on Hermione's terms, not on Ron's terms. Exactly. Yeah. And so like, I imagine like, I, my, my preference would be that it's not because Fred and George are gone. It's because Hermione is not there, like, rooting badly for him. And, like, yeah. expect, like having the expectations that Hermione has for literally everything all of the time. And he feels that freedom. Yeah, I, um, I would like that explanation a lot. The reason we don't get that, expl- that that can't be the explanation is that Ron didn't know that Hermione wasn't there. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, Which becomes, like as we said, a whole thing later. So. I would, it probably wouldn't have been that hard if the retcons were true, but that is fair. Uh, I don't know what's sold at the Harry Potter theme park. I've never been. I should go at some point. I believe wands or something that you can buy for, you know, massively inflated prices that people will ha- still happily pay. If they are not selling the Luna Lovegood's hats 
at some part oh, of I that know. theme park, they're leaving money on the table. <laughs> Her walking out with the newest spring line of just eagle hats, I was just imminently amused and now want one. You can only get those at the uh, UK Wizarding World Parks. At the American ones, they're bald eagles. Oh, yes. Branding. <laughs> So, a few, was it was it prior book or just a few chapters back in this book of where she had that proper like you know roaring roaring lion uh, hat as well? That was earlier this book, I think. Yep. Yeah. I I don't know what other hat she's going to have in the future. She's kind of completed the Griffin at this point, but I'm sure whatever she has next will be creative. Mm-hmm. Do you uh, think that her hats talk to her? Whether they do or not, yes. <laughs> uh, things that made me oddly sad in the moment downtrodden Lee Jordan? I had not thought about that. I know. He's so, he's so lost. It's like, his best friends are gone, and he's still expected to do a job live right now in the air, a consummate professional that he is. It's like, oh, dude, someone please give him a hug. I know, I know you've been just, like, mocking his you know, commentary the entire time, but get him a couple cup of tea at least. Uh, oh, words that I... I bid you reference words that were not fully translated... There was finally a word in this text that not only could I just not remember the name of, I had literally never seen it before. But woe be gone as an adjective description oh, yeah. is completely foreign to me. Never had seen that word before. Hmm. I will be using it now. It's just great. <laughs> this is very this is a word of like, you know, you look at the English language, there's certain words you can just see their evolution just because of how they got condensed, whatever else. No one ever bothered to condense this word. It's all there. It's like, no one ever shortened this. It's just, we'll be gone. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Understood. Uh, Hagrid. Let's talk about Hagrid for a second, because Hagrid's the back half of this chapter. Mm-hmm. Uh, we get to see the range of uh, like emotions and feelings about Hagrid, positive and negative, just summarized in what we see of his actions. Uh, point number one, Hagrid saving Ferenz, the heroic Hagrid. Him charging in to just a pile of centaurs to rescue someone because it, he felt it was the right thing to do. This is the Hagrid that, you know, everyone has a certain heartwarming feeling for. It is it is a wonderful thing. Hagrid being expected to be fired, but still wishing well and saying with almost a sob in his voice that Grubbly Plank will still carry them through exams. This pulls at the heartstrings. You care for the guy. It's, you know, he's clearly struggling to come to terms with it, but he's trying to do his best for the sake of the students. I also am amused as well that it's not even for something that he did. It's just assumed that there was a weird or a weird creature that did a thing. Clearly, Hagrid's responsible. It's just the, where Umbridge goes with that thought process. Mm-hmm. And then there's goddamn Grop. Uh, I am at this point fully convinced and have evidence that the reason the Forbidden Forest is such a foreboding place is because Hagrid keeps putting dangerous exotic animals in it. I don't have any reason to not think that. We've got the whole spider thing, and I'm sure between that and now a giant in there that has literally eradicated the local wildlife in a profound multi-acre or radius around him. Hagrid is the reason the Forbidden Forest kills people. It it it, it is rough. It is it is rough to see. Even in text, the our, our heroes are basically like, okay, I'm kind of Hagrid. We like you, but we're kind of done. Your proposed scenario here is we will probably die for the sake of your white man's burden mission with your half-brother. It's not great. It's not good. No, I like that part of Hagrid's narrative is like a commentary on introducing non-native invasive species into environments. He is constantly putting monkeys into Hawaii. This is just what he runs on. Yep. And, And sees no problem with it. For him, nothing is not... I suppose it embodies a certain optimism in the character that, from his perspective, no matter what it is, no matter its appearances, no matter where it came from, it can have a role in society. Which I'm sure, if we want to, like, you know, psychologically unpack this, this is probably something that he very much needs to think, given how much he's been ostracized over the course of his life. Mm -hmm. I'm sure that's very much drawing and informing his character. But we're now reaching a world of where it is under active threat of killing people in a way that, you know, it still was with the giant spires hunting people in their car driving through the forest. But now even Hagrid's getting injured by the experience of it. Uh, As Hermione says later, who can blame Umbridge for firing him at this point? I know those are fighting words for Harry, but in any other context and were it not Umbridge, maybe even Harry, Harry in his head seems to be acknowledging that no, this is a line too far Uh, the major 
how, how do we pronounce the name of this we've got in terms of the uh, centaurs? We've got Bane, and is it Majorian is the name of the other one? Um, the more oh, I have it written at some point. Is it like... Ma- or Magorian? I think it's, it's Magorian. It, I would do M-A- Magorian. M-A-G-O-R-I-A-N. Mm-hmm. There, there was a Roman emperor named Majorian. That's where I'm driving that, but it's mm. probably Magorian. <laughs> uh, but it's, it's an interesting confrontation because... The implication is, is that if the kids hadn't been there, they were going to kill Hagrid. Mm-hmm. Like, lo- rules have been broken, lines have been crossed, your life is now forfeit. And Bane was still ready to do so. He was like, these are not his kids. So <laughs> yeah. The rule about foals applies to leaving children of the deceased alone in the wilderness. Yes. These kids do not apply. They can make it back home. And also... They're of the school we're pissed at, too. They, to what degree are they also not even collateral damage here? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but also, it's very interesting that there is the... They are under Hagrid's care. Like, it, this does yes. make sense. Mm-hmm. And, the mm-hmm. forbi- like, it, the centaurs, I think, understand that the Forbidden Forest is not a kind place. Mm-hmm. They do, and I also love how multifaceted their their anger at Hagrid is. Just even expressly said in the text, it's not just yep. that he interfered with Ferens. That is enough of an issue. It's not just he represents Hogwarts. That's enough of an issue. It's also that he's just making the Forbidden Forest a more dangerous place, and this is where they live. Yep. For him, it's just a testing ground for all the fun little species he wants to introduce later. For them, it's their home, and Hagrid is just playfully manipulating it, not seeing a problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, in terms of things that are also just glorious, as much as Ron annoys me, the subverting of that song, uh, and I also love the characters don't get it. We get it faster than the characters do because they're not listening to the damn song. It, it's glorious. It, I mean, I, I'm sure they're going to have to pay Draco royalties later, and he should demand <laughs> such, but in the moment, them singing the song Twisted Now in Ron's favor and the celebration associated with that, I don't care that the scoring system doesn't make sense. This character's been needing a W from the word jump, and he's finally gotten one. I think, too, like I, when you go back into the chapter, I think that moment when they are headed into the forest and there is some sort of roar from the crowd, and maybe Hagrid asks, like, oh, I want, did something did, did happen? Did someone score? And then and they, they just immediately go, yeah, probably Ravenclaw. Like, that was absolutely Gryffindor or Ron making a save. Mm-hmm. And like our characters are, Ron and Hermione are unable to even it, contemplate it, that as a possibility. But it is kind of sad that his two best friends clearly don't respect him that much. Not at all. Nope. I mean, we know that Harry is an insufferable jock. The, the real issue is Hermione. Because like, there's no way that the star quarterback is going to be like, oh, that that random uh, lineman is, you, you know, the left tackle is, is doing an incredibly good job now and is a worthwhile player now that I'm not playing. Like, mm-hmm. there's just no way that that's ever going to cross his mind. No. It, it does very much seem that now that Harry can't play, he kind of gives two shits about the team. <laughs> this was his motivation. Uh, but yep. that, that, that leaves Newbie's notes behind. Sarah, who wins and who loses this chapter? I feel, I feel like we've got... a pretty obvious possibility for a winner but losers fun to debate yeah so i mean i think we can obviously say ron the winner here um at least until he at least until he figures out that his friends were not there to see his victory looking forward to that But in the bounds of this chapter ron the winner um yes loser grop grop seems well i mean grop has apparently been sort of unhappy about his situation for quite some time but he seems like relatively stable right now, so I don't know that we get like in captivity and about to be surrendered as uh, an uncared for giant. He's having fun with pine trees. Yeah, it seems fine. <laughs> okay. I don't. I mean, like there is no change in his situation here, and he is not like. There's, I guess, yes, there is no technical change in his situation. There, There is an imminent change, presumably, in his situation from being cared for by somebody who seems up to the task and... Well, you not. know, the, we, do get the, we do get the explanation that, like, Grop will always be able to... His, his sort of, like, immediate physical needs are not an issue, right? Sure. So I don't know that he's necessarily like in danger by Hagrid not being there. In fact, Grop might be 
might be happier Better not being off, yes. bugged the shit out of by Hagrid coming trying to teach yes. him teach him English. I don't know. Um, I don't. I think part of my point is I don't know that we have enough information about. That's fair. How Grop is is actually handling the situation. He's probably better off in his captive situation and, and being taught English it's, in proper manners uh, than listen. You know, how he would otherwise be. I fully agree with you, Sarah. That is, he was that is perfectly reasonable. Bullied. And, and he, he was being bullied in, in his native lands and by his native people. And so being reformed as such, you know, maybe we'll get him a schoolboy uniform and he can go to Hogwarts. It'll be great. He has I fully agree family. with you. He, he, he is, he's doing well. And then he can go back to his own people and then teach them himself. Carry the message back. The, yes, exactly. all of the <laughs> wonderful things of civilization that he has learned and gained from his tri- you know, trials and travails over here. Yes. He can be a, a good governor of uh, and steward the, the well, giant people in, no, into... Not, not governor, mid, mid-level bureaucrat. We don't really let his kind get really above that. But that's that, a separate, well, well, separate but conversation. He, he, has, he has family that, you know, can... can you know, represent him. No, no, no. Is it Umbridge and maybe Filch? I, I mean, think it Filch actually is... might be Filch. It, <laughs> Filch is, is, yeah. Well, it, I mean, Peeves does. I feel like Peeves needs an honorable mention for winner of the chapter. <laughs> Shout uh, out. Yeah. <laughs> and I I think that there is an, like, uh, uh, the the effects are fairly obvious on Filch. But the complete undercutting of Umbridge is yeah. is so impressive. And, and I mean, honestly, of all people to every time you try and speak to have somebody, <laughs> it like, that's just not going to go. It's not. Something bad is going to happen in the next chapter or two when Umbridge, I don't know, uh, corporally punishes a student or, or something like that. I mean, I, I just... There's something that's going to happen. I feel what's like what's kind of interesting, and I hadn't thought about this until we're having this conversation, but what's kind of interesting about Umbridge in this chapter is that she's actually kind of a black box. We don't really see much of her doing anything or her reactions to any of this. Yep. Um, we get what is being done. We can mm-hmm. imagine what her responses are, but we don't actually see much of it. Um Closest we get is her resigned response to the umbragitis. Yes. Where she tries to at first, like, detention everybody, but then eventually just like, oh, I can't do anything mm-hmm. about this. Mm-hmm. That that was an interesting concession to see Umbridge just roll over just from rec- almost recognizing her powerlessness. But yes. that's kind of the only lens we get. And even that is a little kind of off-screeny. It's, like, mm-hmm. glided over anyway. Um, I feel like there's going to be an educational decree that we never see that it's, if you have missed more than two classes, you don't get to take the owls. That we might that get hurt. there. I don't know. But um, that's the only reason that I am also just leaning more towards Filch because we see so much of Filch actually dealing dealing with this nonsense. Yeah. It, it does feel like it's all just kind of rolled downhill to Filch to fix. Yes. Um, so I'm going to... I'm going to give it to Filch for this chapter. I imagine that we're going to see more of Umbridge responding to things in the next chapter, uh, which I say not. I don't actually remember what the scope of the next chapter is as far as that goes. So I'm going to go Ron and Filch, which what a what a combo. <laughs> what a pair. Yep. Also, uh, an and honorable mention to Mrs. Norris, because. Oh, yes. Like, uh, you know, as little as people like miss norris uh just being stuffed into a suit of armor and trying to get out has to be one of the worst things for a cat truly terrible i understand you know jk rowling loves animal abuse and we haven't gotten (laughs) to see it for a number of chapters so this is like you know the ellipses making its uh triumphant return (laughs) after not being in there for a little while uh this is definitely one of those like "Mm, that that's rough Indeed. Questions. To what degree is Peeves in the movies? This feels like a character that is easily cut from the films in a way that I would understand, but be sad about. I know he's in early movies. He he is he appears, but he is not. He appears early in the movies. He's not as much of a character. Um, he's kind of more background mm-hmm. than anything, which is disappointing. Disappearing. <laughs> 
perfectly understandable in terms of an adaptation to the screen, but it does feel like it removes a bit of color from the world. Yes. How much power does Peeves actually have? I mean, because like there, it felt like early on, and maybe this is just my misremembering that like he had to put in effort and wasn't always like easily interacting with things. Mm-hmm. Like he was sort of a little bit more ghost-like rather than all-powerful poltergeist-like. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and now it seems like he can just do whatever, he, like he can interact with the physical world in any way that he so chooses. Um, yeah, I think he straddles the line in an interesting way because he does sort of move by floating around. So he's not like super corporeal yeah. in the movements, but it does, like he does, he can sort of like touch and interact with things. Um, my headcanon for Peeves is that his relative power is being driven by the amount of chaos in the world around him. And that now that everything has just gone to hell and the rules of decorum have gone completely out the window, his power is ebbing with that. <laughs> or, now that Fred and George are gone, there is a gap in the... The void. Of, mm-hmm. So, you know, the Someone must expand to that... fill it. Exactly. <laughs> but I think, like, in terms of just, like, actual power, I equate Peeves to almost a Dobby-like character where he actually does have a fair amount of probably not as powerful as a house elf but he does have a fair amount of power it just works differently and what is interesting is that we seem to be seeing not unlike with fred and george the sort of bounds of propriety that peeves was putting on his behavior based on just the way that hogwarts functions them allowing him to essentially stay at hogwarts right like i imagine that dumbledore could physically kick peeves out if he really wanted to but probably finds him sort of amusing and therefore has kept him around for a long time um and so peeves put the kind of limits around what he was going to do and now those limits have been at least stretched, if not eradicated entirely. Do we know the origin of Dementors? Um, we certainly haven't talked about it. Uh, let me see the if I can find... The reason that I asked is I was sort of wondering if they're sort of like a ghost derivative. And, yeah. Um, I just, I don't think what we've ever touched on that. And I was just sort of wondering, like, Peeves obviously has, like, physical interactions with the world, but I was sort of wondering if he also might have those powers and just, Mm. it's just, like, a ghost thing and some ghosts are essentially taught to do it because that's their job uh, and some are not, but... Yeah, I don't think... So I think that Dementors are actually... are just, like, a natural thing that occurs. I don't think they were made in any way. Um, Mm, Because we initially get Lupin's description of them as infesting the darkest, filthiest places and glorying in decay and despair. I mean, but that does feel like many descriptions of where ghosts would emerge. Yes, no, absolutely. But like, I don't... Yeah. I don't think that they're like one of those things that... And we get some of the creatures and and in a lot of fantasy settings, you get like something unnatural that humans Mm -hmm. have made in some way. Yeah. I think in the same way that ghosts are sort of natural. Yeah. Dementors are also natural. Uh, another question for me. Uh, Grup. Mm-hmm. Is he free range or not? Because Hagrid says that you don't have to worry about feeding him. He'll find his own food. But we also get the description of these massive like ropes that are wrapped around him or anything else. Yeah. So I think that he's like capturing anything that goes by. As they note, they may actually need to feed him now. He's eradicated the entire surrounding area of potential wildlife. Yeah. I think there's some inconsistencies in... <laughs> what Hagrid is saying versus what the actual reality of the situation would be. I I mean, or maybe he's an omnivore and he prefers capturing passing creatures, but could eat vegetation. Maybe he could. Yes. I also imagine that the giants are sort of camel like in their sustenance requirements. Mm. (laughs) Our listeners cannot see BJ's face, but I can't tell if he's pleased by this or broken by this. Do you think Grop is a one-hump giant and that's why he's being tormented? Maybe. Maybe this is the size differential that is that is problematic I mean, we know in his that, relations that his with other giants. His mother is at least a two-hump camel, so... <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, now I've just got a very strange version of the My Hump song 
running through my head. <laughs> well, we got to end on that, right? I love your giant humps. I can't, I can't imagine how you would have any other questions after that. Uh, sh- shall we move on to what the next chapter picture is? Let's, Let's do it. Do it. Uh, so we are moving on to chapter 31. Spencer, what do we got? Uh, owls. Oh, name of it anyway. L-S. And the picture appears to be... I'm I, actually, it's Harry. It, Harry, and, uh, maybe Hermione? Mm, I feel like so that's that very much frustrates me if that's supposed to be Hermione. It is, because, and it's not great. Okay. It looks like Jenny, right? It looks like it could be Jenny or... or Honestly, looks like somebody. It could be somebody a little bit older. Yeah. But yeah, Jenny would make sense. A lot of other people would make sense. But like, that's not frizzy hair. It doesn't. No. Does she still have frizzy hair since her you know coming out moment at the party? Does she? Do, is she using you know product now? I don't. We haven't as much description of her really. Yeah, I don't think so because she did say, like, I think the next day after the ball, she was like, "That's too much work. I'm not doing that." When okay. did the infamous comment come out? What? When did the infamous Hermione comment come out? What do you mean? Uh, J.K. Rowling retconned uh, Hermione at some point, and I didn't. Oh, I didn't le- know if it was before oh. or after the books were finished. It was after I, the books were finished, I think. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Because it would have been really funny if it was midway, and then she's just like, "Well, I'm just not going to describe her anymore oh. or give any more detail," and so it's fine. No, it was it was after the books, I think, because I think it was after the movies. Oh, okay. Too, or, or, or during or, the movies, maybe I'm not. I'm not sure, but it was after after the books. Gotcha. Are, are, are we are we to assume that assume that third character in the background that has no established facial features nor any presence is Ron? I mean, <laughs> it would fit. It would fit. But yeah, they they appear to be a astronomy class. There doesn't feel like there's this quite as much to unpack about this one, at least at present. No, they're searching for owls, Spencer. No, they are not. <laughs> No, the book is lying to me about owls now. We talked about that last chapter. There was no owl appearing whatsoever on a grop or about a grop or even in the chapter at all. I believe no more owl stories this text offers me. Right? I, the artistic license in some of these uh, drawings is is interesting. So, quick question before we finish. Uh, turn back to to the picture that we had last chapter. For this of chapter? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yes. Of chapter 30. Mm-hmm. Yep. How big is that bird? That bird is fucking huge. That, that, that is more than a great horned owl. That is like, you know, flies away with sheep kind of size of owl. Yes. It's a great humped owl. <laughs> Didn't know about that species, but yes, now it's in canon in the Harry Potter universe. It is a great humped owl. Okay. <laughs> well, y'all, this was a fun chapter. Looking forward to the next one. Yep. Bye, guys. Bye.